Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're talking to Shantanu Shaker, currently GTM Operations at Gong and previously Business Ops at LinkedIn. We're talking with him about how you can go from revenue strategy to planning to execution. Enjoy. We, we usually lack kind of a good intro, actually. We always lack a good intro. Because <laughs> we never think about it before. It's usually you coming in two minutes before the recording starts. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Sometimes five. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're figuring out like, oh, yeah, what should we talk about today? So another special episode with Bart. Another special episode. That means another special guest episode. A special guest we have indeed. Who, yeah. is it? Who is it this time, Bart? Today we have uh, Shantanu Shaker. He is the current head of go-to-market operations at Gong and also helping lead the uh, customer sales division over there. That's it. Beautiful. Thanks so much for joining us here. Absolute pleasure to be here, Bart and Tony. We're very, very exciting to always... Um, uh, always a pleasure to talk about RevOps and go-to-market operations. And yeah, really excited. There you go. So it's good that we have you here for, um, you know, a little bit of time to pick your brain and really talk about, uh, you know, some of the pieces that might be still missing from this, you know, RevOps journey, which is going into the strategic area. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. before we get to all of these wonderful things, a bit of a fly in maybe on your side. So how did you get into, how did you get into revenue operations? So it's funny. And in fact, I believe this is the best question to ask anyone in RevOps because I feel everybody's story is slightly different. In fact, I'm curious, maybe for a later conversation, Tony, I'd love to know your story as well. <laughs> but my story almost starts, I've been close to a decade now in the revenue operations world. And my story starts about five years before that. So I was a management consultant at Bain. Um, mm. And pretty much there, it's focused, you're focusing on strategy projects for, uh, for clients and you're trying to build transformative roadmaps. I spent a lot of time somehow within the sales industry there. And that mapped very closely with the growth and transformation vertical. We used to call it full potential strategies. Um, and about, about a year at the end, I spent working on a large IT services client who was looking at their sales operations blueprint. And I thought, wait, this is quite a lot of fun, quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of our listeners might agree with me, and I'm sure there are quite a few many more who will not, but it was all about pipeline management forecasting, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to think about capacity planning and, and how do you map that. So that that really piqued my interest. And while I was at Bain, I'd spent about six months in the Bay Area working with private equity clients just before I'd gotten into this project. Um, and this is back when Uber was a startup. You might, it's, it's funny to think about it now, right? Because given the size and scale that Uber has, um, I might I might have advised a private equity uh, company not to invest in Uber. Still, <laughs> still regret that. Good job. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the data didn't point towards them being a success at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but if I think about what really really got me into into this was I knew I wanted to go into tech. I was a management consultant by by practice by profession, but I really liked the energy that tech had at that point and I was like great let's do, look into it I don't think I'd ever thought I would go into a role called revenue operations or sales operations at, at that point because mm. it was still very early days for that function uh, and speaking to a few folks who had gone into LinkedIn at that point uh, and for some reason 
um, LinkedIn was probably the, was a scale up. I wouldn't say it was a startup at that point. Mm -hmm. It actually IPO'd even. And for some reason, a lot of ex-consultants from Bain, McKinsey, BCG had made their way into this growing function of sales operations across LinkedIn, but also across Salesforce. And the, that, those are the two big SaaS companies at the time. Uh, and I had a few conversations and figured, yeah, let's give it a try. I wasn't really sure what I was getting into, but looking back, I'm re really enjoying it. And uh, I mean, you, you spend a lot of time obviously on LinkedIn, uh, so in, in, not on, but in LinkedIn <laughs> and then uh, went on to Nitro and then basically landed in, in Gong, right? Kind of that's, that's yes. the journey for you. That is the journey for me. And, and I think if I think about at LinkedIn, um, I did a couple of different roles and I was focused on uh, the EMEA and Latin America business, which is pretty much uh, found headquartered in Ireland. And I was doing a very pure sales operations role to begin with, working very closely with how you think about everything from planning to forecasting and really focusing in on that smaller subset of making your sales numbers work and working closely with sales leaders and SDR leaders to an extent. But then the second half of my time at LinkedIn, I worked in, I moved into what we call business operations there, but it's really closer, more, much more closer to RevOps in a way because that was working across the go-to-market functions, very close, working very closely with customer success, with marketing and sales, so the entire broader go-to-market teams. And also having a very close link with product, because I think one thing we often don't talk about is RevOps also has to have a close link with product to really succeed in yeah. advising the go-to-market side. And, and, yeah, and then from there, I moved on to, to Nitro, which is a much smaller, I would say, uh, an already public company at that point, but much smaller company in the... Um, PDF and e-signing space. And the attraction for me there was more of a global role sitting in, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I had the the joy of working. I'm waking up with somebody in Sydney on the East Coast and working with someone on the on the West Coast of the US as well. So that that had its own, um, I would say, great experiences and, and then challenges that came with that. But a great experience to set up the entire go-to-market operations and revenue operations function for that team and see how we how we move forward. Since then, the company's actually been acquired by a private equity firm. And I was a Gong customer twice, both at LinkedIn and, and at Nitro. And that's what, when uh, Gong opened an office in Dublin, it was really something which was a no-brainer for me to consider. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely. Now, I think it's really interesting whenever we talk with somebody with your vast experience mm -hmm. in this and in all these different companies. And I would love to know, taking all those experiences along, what's the, what's been the role of RevOps and how how's that been evolved over your time? That's great. And it's a great question, Bart, because if I think about the role of RevOps, I would say every single company, every single country, every single even sometimes segment within the company might be doing it differently. So the way I define RevOps and to a large extent within these three companies, I've tried to streamline certain roles and functions to meet along that is to me, there are three core pillars and say a foundation and a roof. If you imagine a house, right? And essentially RevOps is setting the house together for, for the, for the go-to-market function. To me, the first three pillars are strategy, operations, which I mean, both processes and systems. And then the third one is data insights. And I mean, insights, not necessarily, there's so much signals, so many, sorry, so much noise in terms of data available. How do you get signal from the noise in terms of insights? So if you think of those three pillars, and then the foundation and the roof for me is, foundation is all about people and the team that you're actually driving. 
especially in the RevOps function for a company the size of LinkedIn, you could have hundreds of people who are sitting in the RevOps team. But again, you come to a smaller, smaller team, you might be working with maybe double digits, sometimes single digits team. Mm -hmm. You have so many RevOps team of one who are operating. So how do you, how do you make your team work for you? And then the roof at the top is really, and I say this to almost everyone I talk about RevOps is getting your work done is 20% of the work. 80% of the work is moving the rest of the organization and driving change. And how do you use that? That that to me is, and I and if you want to call it stakeholder management, change management, whatever name or label you want to give to that, I think that is the tip of the spear. Whatever. Yeah, I think I think this this way of um, almost distributing the weights. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people would um, necessarily come up with that distribution themselves. I think they would agree. But getting to the point that 20% is really just getting the job done that revenue is, uh, RevOps is about, and 80% of that is comms, stakeholder management, change management, yeah. and so forth, right? So working up, working down, working the organization, optimizing for revenue, speaking, mm -hmm. you know, CFO language, speaking CRO language. Um, exactly. I think a lot of people are completely underestimating this. Uh, and I think kind of giving this 20-80 split to folks might be, you know, Maybe it's not exactly 2080, maybe it's more balanced, but it's certainly, uh, certainly many people rather forget about it than even giving it, uh, you know, even 10% of their attention, right? So it's pretty cool that you're actually uh, pointing this out here. Thanks, and that's a great point because in fact, I'm, in fact, I'm almost going to communication principles and, and it starts with almost every communication playbook or theory will say, know your audience and start mm -hmm. with that. I think quite often because we have so many different challenges to solve and so many problems to work with in RevOps, you might forget who our audience is and how to really move that forward. So you might have a very shiny dashboard. You might, you might end up with a very solid set of analysis, but if it's not moving the needle, why are we doing that? Uh, one thing I would love to know about is some of the misconceptions that people have around the role of RevOps, especially people that outside of RevOps are potentially looking mm -hmm. out in. Uh, what kind of misconceptions do you find like a lot of people have of the role? Yeah, so I think I think two things that's a very common thread across the role. And a lot of people don't understand it, but like you said initially, RevOps is quite new, right? So a lot of people don't understand what RevOps means. So two things to me would jump out and, and quite, um, I, I would say quite prevalent across, across roles and across companies is number one, people often misconstrue RevOps professionals or team as data analysts or support functions just coming in to help you deliver what you need at any given point of point of time. And what I mean by what you need is it could be a sales manager or insert any functional role and, and level. You almost think I need to get A done and therefore I'm going to go to, to RevOps. And they will obviously, they're waiting for me to give them a list of things to do. I think that's the first that's the first misconception I've seen because often, oftentimes RevOps teams have a large set of priorities. They've probably whittled down to a 10% or lower already and having and, and getting that, I think, is tough. The second piece, um, which often is a challenge, and I love that we're going to talk about how, how strategic RevOps teams can be, is people think of RevOps team as being systems people only or can think of RevOps people as being systems people only. And that's the other... I would say limiter in helping RevOps teams move forward and be a true partner to the gate go to market function. In fact, one one thing which I almost always encourage anyone I work with in RevOps to say is talk about how 
you partner with go-to-market leadership or how you're part of go-to-market leadership, not mm -hmm. necessarily being in a support role, even though mm -hmm. you're obviously, you're the foundation, we talk about all those elements about being the custodian of the systems, being the one who are uh, the role that actually understands the data and is able to translate what that means. But the moment you're seen as being reactive and not or reactive and not proactive, that's where the risk can be in terms of really adding value. Hmm. So, so I love this, obviously, and uh, and maybe we're gonna just you know double click on this and go a bit deeper. So, I mean, you already talked a little bit about um, you know some of the misconceptions here, and some of this is really is also connected to the quote unquote strategic part of revenue operations, if you will. So, while while everyone wants to add this strategy word to their mm -hmm. title, to their job, to their function, yes. to their day to day, all the time. Um, and not only in RevOps, but, you know, across the GTM, across everything. Mm -hmm. Bart is a strategic yeah. copywriter, right? That's um, what I call myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does, what does strategy or strategic actually mean in revenue operations from your perspective? Great point, Tony. And in fact, I would even start, you're right, I would start with what is strategy, what is strategy in its totality and then come back to what it means for RevOps. Because like I said, everybody and their uncle wants to have strategy in their title today and wants to really help. Um, in fact, I've seen so many people who've lost out on jobs because the interviewer said, this person was not, was not strategic enough. What does mm -hmm. that mean, mm -hmm. right? And and I'll, I'll go back to my, again, my own uh, experience having been in a strategy consulting firm at Bain. The way Bain used to talk about, cons about what strategy is, was almost adding on to what the dictionary, I think the Oxford dictionary pretty much talks about strategy as a plan, mm. right? Having the right, yeah. if there's someone who has a strategy, it's a person who's, and I'm not being gender insensitive here, but there used to be a phrase which was quite often used. A man with a plan was a phrase which is quite often used mm. um, in, in, in different contexts and, and literature centuries ago. And to me, the way I saw Bain said, that's fine, you have a plan, but that's step one. You're designing a plan but then how do you how do you marry that with execution right and to me that's having that vision of both the plan and execution is how bain used to then go deeper into the strategy so if i if i bring that down to the level of what we could do in revops specifically so in revops we're almost always starting off with a revenue number as a starting point so if i think about being strategic in revops it means you need to be able to find three things number one what is that target or ambition of where you want to get to and having that vision and, and plan or number whether it's a revenue number second and i i would i encourage this anyone who's starting a new role in revenue operations think about um, doing a diagnostic of where you are today right anyone can have a plan to scale mount everest but are you at base camp today are you further behind where are you right and having that number going deeper into more of a 360 view, not only from a data standpoint, but understanding what externally customers are saying, how your product is set up, the broader perspective of, of, the, of the actual starting point or diagnostic. And third really is all about marrying that, as I said, plan with execution, which is if you want to get there, what are the steps to get there? If you, are, if you have these steps, how do you really break that down into very tactical initiatives which will, which will get you there. Who owns those initiatives? What needs to happen by when timeline? And I'm almost, if you see, I'm almost defining a program because it's almost mapping that program level of initiatives and plan with that 
footprint or roadmap which will help you go back. And and often it's those choices you make in building that plan which define what your strategy is. Because and we can go deeper into examples here. Let's say your your strategy or vision is you want to be an enterprise company, or or your and if you and if your plan and how you talk about initiatives which will get you there. Is your product set up in a certain way? Is our is your entire go-to-market motion and customer um, relationships and lifecycle management is that built in the same way or not? And what are the options you need to make? What allocation allocation of resources will get you there? So all of those very specific choices and options is pretty much bring that back together. So it's actually having a view of where you want to go, a diagnostic of where you are, and then very tactical roadmap or footprint to drive that execution i love that if you could add some more examples actually of how you have been strategic mm -hmm. as 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 revenue operations um, and it could mm -hmm. be you know it could be linkedin could be gone could be whatever but it would be really really interesting to hear how um you know giving our our listeners and our readers a little bit of help in you know what would be an example uh to then give them ideas okay wait a minute, in my job, I could do it actually like this. And, you know, now I have a way to communicate it even to my boss. Great. No, I love that. So I might take an example, maybe given it's more recent and, and there are things which LinkedIn, given its size and scale, a lot of public pieces. So I probably won't go into LinkedIn examples, but I'll start with Nitro and then maybe one with Gong. So at Nitro, one of the things I did again, when I came in, like I said, I did a diagnostic of where we are, where we want to get to. You had these massive competitors in Adobe and DocuSign at that phase. The market was in a very positive momentum given it was just the first two quarters post-COVID where things had literally taken off from a uh, from a plateau with two jetpacks. Mm -hmm. And at that point, having a view of where we want to get to and how we get there, there were three things that jumped out to me, right? And number one, Again, having done all of that, uh, I would say, exploration across the board. Number one, our operating model internally was not best suited to target that growth. And what that meant was we had, uh, for a company which is which is reasonably mid-sized at that point, we had one seller for the full duration of the customer standpoint, uh, customer's life cycle with the company. So we pretty much, what, what came out of that exercise was let's, split this into a hunter-farmer model. Now, what that meant, and there's so many different operation implications, I'll get to that in, in the end, but that was the first piece. Second, there was a lot to be done in terms of pricing because you realize that there's so much you can get from a revenue standpoint. What do you do from a pricing standpoint? And and the third piece, given the the market we were in and and and, and the world we were we were entering, how do we really define roles and responsibilities for what happens from the point you get a customer to when it goes out and how do you measure that? Um, I call it, and, and each of these, by the way, became projects in themselves. I call it project Moneyball, which is how do we measure at every step what's happening and are able to go back to the right levels. And, and, and maybe I'll, I'll go into that example to go deeper is when, when we think about me metrics that everyone measures, right? And everybody from the CEO to say, an SDR in the company who's probably just come in uh, a year after college. Let's say we take that that spectrum of, of people in, in the company. Everybody needs a few metrics to be able to answer some 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 certain pieces of what they're doing. Now, in that project, because of the pieces, we identified that if you're measuring everything, you're not measuring anything really. 
how do you define what needs to be measured? So we said, we're going to pick two metrics at each level. Why do those metrics matter to the CEO versus the CRO versus the head of sales versus the head of marketing, the head of customer success, to the frontline managers, to the, to the front uh, frontline reps, and then define for those two metrics, for those two things that matter to them, what are the metrics that matter? And then how will you measure? And then we deployed our entire process and systems around that so we could then measure that. And that was one example I can go deeper into each of those. But that was, I think, a very uh, powerful way to just set up the entire entire process. Um, and, and the beauty of doing that, and I start off again with how do you become reactive versus proactive? No one's going to come to you and say, hey, let me tell me how, how can I figure this out? I came in and said, okay, what's our what's our goal as a company? And then, okay, this is how you can get there. This is where we are. And this is how RevOps can play a role in helping you figure out the operating model. I mentioned at the beginning, this is how you can do measurements across it. And this is how you can think about pricing, for instance. So mm -hmm. that was one example I thought was quite interesting. So I think I think that was pretty powerful, right? Because it really starts off at the strategic piece of um, achieving that growth number and then mm -hmm. taking this. And by the way, so you, you, you mentioned a couple of of words you're sprinkling in that 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 Bart and I are hearing a lot around this mm -hmm. topic. It's yes, it's about revenue, it's about cost sometimes, about risk sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it is about um how then to actually achieve that proactively, kind of doing that thinking and then connecting it down to pieces that that suddenly seem trivial, right? I think this right. is this almost the curtain that's being pulled all the time where some you know you you talk through a strategic project and how you execute it. And then mm -hmm. people realize, wait a minute, at some point in this sentence, you went from strategic to, you know, execution. And I yes. didn't even realize that you kind of, you know, did the switch and bait basically. Um, and this really means this, hey, this is where we want to go. And, mm -hmm. and listen, here are these actual things that I am doing and that other people that need to be doing in order to actually get there, right? Kind of really creating that, that connection between the far-fledged, you know, uh, hopeful reality in the future and what are we actually doing today in order to kind of to get there, right? And and the example okay. was really cool in terms of, well, there's something in the operating model that we need to tweak a little bit. Um, but then there's also something on the, you know, maybe I say performance management side uh, yes. for all the different roles. What is their purpose? Why are they doing this? Um, mm -hmm. And what do we expect of them? Uh, and all of these pieces working together to get you to the strategic outcome, right? And and I think kind of building this building this bridge between the future and what you need today, you know, that that is that is strategy that that suddenly becomes execution, you know, by uh, by by I don't know by a mistake almost it seems, but that's how this works in the end. But but that is so that's a, and that's such a great observation, Tony, because if I think about the real opportunity, and this is where I think. Um, companies shell thousands of dollars to consultants and external advisors and so on. Really, the the beauty lies in breaking things down to its first principles, right? Any mm -hmm. Anything which is complex can be broken down into very simple tactical, tactical pieces. And that's, I would say, almost without prejudice. That'd be, that'd be, in fact, I'll, I'll give you another example, right? So um, the example maybe from Gong for strategic project. Um, so I, like I said, we just opened an office in Dublin. I came in, it's now more than more than 18 months ago. And as as you'd imagine, Gong is obviously a very strong brand in, in the US, relatively strong in English speaking markets, but outside of English speaking markets, there are there wasn't that brand that existed. And there wasn't a very clear 
understanding of how it would operate. And again, this is not a gong only prob problem. Every company, every single, um, in every single function as well, I would say, which comes, every single industry, which comes from, say, uh, say the US and then tries to go in into to Europe or into Asia, where every, every single country has a different language, a different culture, a different sensitivity that you have to really standardize and internationalize what you're doing. So that was a question again, which if I think about my entire exercise, the same diagnostic where we can get to, what are some of the obstacles and roadblock, roadblocks you need to, to, to cross over? So in that exercise, we realized, well, hang on, we need to create almost a, and you will see, I, I, love, I love project names. We call this project Apollo, where how do we go from where we are? How do we make sure Gong is just the same, whether you are speaking in English, whether you're speaking in Danish, whether you're speaking in, we're working with Gong in, in Dutch. And there was a lot of work, by the way, already being done in silos. A product team was already doing something. A marketing team was probably working on something from a sales perspective to figure out what, what you do and how you enable people to think about it. But basically, the, the way we set this up was, uh, and I, I hired a program manager to help drive this through. Again, this is people might not have come to a RevOps team and said, how do we make this work? But I'm like, okay, this is where the opportunity is. Let's say if we had to gong get gong to go and big into these markets, by the way, this is the GDP of GDP of Germany, this is the GDP of France. If you add up all of the GDP of these European countries, you get the GDP of US essentially, right? So how do we make sure we get the same revenue or ARR you're seeing in the US in 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 Europe? And one phrase I love is an ask made well is actually an offer. And what that means is I'm asking for a path to get to that ARR, that's a great offer for whoever's running the company globally, right? So, and to do that, you then start think, breaking that down into, okay, this is what product needs to do. This is what marketing needs to do. This is what, and, and how do you not, and again, this is not one person. I don't have the answers in my head. How do you get all the different stakeholders together? I talked about the 80% of making change management and people management working stakeholders together. This is all part of the strategy because you then get and again, what, what we did essentially for Gong was we had customer success was key for this, uh, product was key for this, marketing, someone from engineering, someone from the sales team. We got all of them together in a in a room for a day or two. But we literally built a plan and we had initiatives. And again, again, it again sounds so boring in the end because the broader goal is how do you make Gong relevant for all languages, all countries. But at a base level, you then say, okay, customer success, you need to think about when you, when you get a customer onboarded, whether it's in German or in English, they need to have the option for 30 days, 15 days, 45 days. What does that mean? What does the onboarding program look like? What do you get in terms of actual um, materials that are available for self-learning, for onboarding? Are they, are they the same in English and, or not? You then go with product. Okay, you need to think about what's the UI. And to build that UI, wait, you need a vendor. Okay, let's work with who are the different options, the vendors you can talk to. This is... Okay, we'll have somebody tracking that. Similarly, marketing, now your website, whether you open Gong in, in Denmark, in Germany, in, in England, in, in Singapore, how does that look? And sometimes the language, let's say in American English, will be very different from British English. Even UK, how is that different? So how do you make those marketing materials look different? Do you need, do you need a localization help on that? So how do you really do all of that? So, so once that got built in, and again, I go back to measurement and reporting back and driving. So that's something we've been building, building in. And again, like I said, our product team was already working a lot on how the different languages work. So bringing all of that together, just, I think that's where I think 
RevOps has that unique viewpoint or perspective where you see all of these players playing and your job is to get them all in the same field so they're talking to each other. So while, while I was listening to you, one, so this is basically a, a fairly big internationalization effort, right, that, mm -hmm. um, uh, that you're describing there. What I didn't quite fully understand is, it, did you come up with this or was it a thing that was kind of floated and you grabbed it? Kind of tell, tell us a little bit the origination yes. story of, of how, you, mm -hmm. how you ended up running or being part of this, uh, of this, of this massive strategic project. Great. And again, and this is probably where it's, I, I keep going back to that being proactive versus reactive. So all of these functions, and again, most of these, I would say, challenges or ideas exist at some point in every company. So product was already doing something. Marketing was probably doing something. But the product was doing maybe 100 things at the same time. Marketing probably had a few core things. There was some, some person in the marketing team who was working on localization. Um, customer success was probably dealing with it even more so because they were onboarding customers in a certain market and didn't know what to do, right? That, so, they're all, so they're all things which are happening. But the way that overall project initiative, because you're asking, I say, like I said, I, I hired a program manager. How do I get that? And to do that was I go back to almost, and I diagnostic is easy to do when you join a company in the beginning. But even if you've been in a company for 20 years, your company might have an annual budgeting process, an annual planning process, or, or some level of, I would say, a strategic review where RevOps might not even have a voice, by the way. Right. So, mm -hmm. the, so the way to come into that is almost come with whether it's your CRO, if, if, if your company has a CRO or it's your sales leaders, your marketing leaders come to them with, I have an, I see an opportunity here. And in, in my case, I had the benefit of having done that as soon as I joined. So I was like, oh, this is where we're going. I see an opportunity to accelerate our growth beyond X. Mm -hmm. And this is why I would do that. Again, in the same way, someone might come in and say, I see an opportunity to do that. And you mentioned rightly, so there is revenue, but I also see risk. If we don't see this coming in, this is what you see run the risk of if you don't. So just so creating that almost burning platform and having the conversation with, oh, by the way, I see this risk. I see this opportunity. Is this important to you? And then going back with, oh, by the way, I have a plan. I need ABC to do it. And can you give me some sponsorship or, or, or uh, I would say almost, I don't want to say sponsorship necessarily, but almost the the run free and go and deliver yeah yeah you, you know i think like you're almost looking for a, a cosign of that from somebody that actually has power to do this right exactly uh that, that's fascinating uh, um i think i think i would love to start moving on to the the next portion where we kind of look back at the RevOps role and potentially what we can advice we can give to potentially uh, other RevOps teams out there because I know we talk to a lot of smaller RevOps teams, you know, single digits, anywhere down to, to one or two people kind of thing. And, and I think a lot of a lot of the pain points that we're hearing from a lot of people is like, yeah, they, they are kind of stuck in that system admin role. They, they are kind of stuck being reactive, you know, when they want to be proactive. So I guess one of the things I want to ask from you is like, what kind of advice would you kind of give them to be more of that strategic role that they need to be? Yeah, so I think so. One of the things I, one of the words I love is compartmentalization. And what I mean by that is, if you if you create the room for something, then it'll happen. If you don't, it won't happen. And essentially, as I I talk about those three pillars, and um, I'm sure you both will agree with me. There's enough work to be done that just responding to requests, and it's, and that's why people have we started off with misconceptions about it. 
That's why people have misconceptions about RevOps. You have enough asks and requests and challenges and things breaking that keeping the lights on can be a full-time job for someone in RevOps and is, right? And I think it's almost important. There's, there's so many different concepts. You call it deep work, whatever, to compartmentalize. If you block a couple of hours a week, a month, or whatever works for you, and, and the advice I always give to someone who's looking to make room to be more proactive is go in and really help figure that out. That's that's the number one thing I'd say. Second, quite often people might uh, might not go to the might not feel comfortable going to even the CEO if needed. But that's like for instance, um, if if and, I, and I'm sure as Growblox will grow very soon in three four years, you will have a large team and. Not everybody will be comfortable going up to Tony, but let's say you have a RevOps team and an upstart RevOps person comes up to Tony and, and they ask you that, hey, Tony, what's your biggest problem? Just understanding what the biggest problems from the CEO to the CRO and, and, and downward is, is important to just then help solve for that problem. Because once you make time and space, and second, you know what the biggest challenges for the company are, most RevOps professionals have the skills to be able to solve that problem. They always often can see it. I think it's more just knowing what the problem to solve and, and finding time to do it is. So that, that's mm -hmm. what I would, I would Yeah, so very powerful, right? It's kind of uh, uh, number one, the, I love this. I, I mean, I obviously love this compartmentalization thing. Um, I, I agree with this for many, many other reasons as well, but really the, you know, by allocating time, mm -hmm. it's the only way you will be able to get there. Right. Uh, so, yeah. you know, scratch everything, scratch everything <laughs> else It's not going to happen by itself. And then mm -hmm. number two, really this, this understanding of what are driving pains and problems in the organization and, you know, what could be your spin on this in order to solve them. Right. And, and to a degree, yeah. what you're kind of saying with this also is, well, if you understand what's, what's a problem, guess what, if you have a solution for that, there will, you know, yes. resources will appear, time will appear, you know, and, and prioritization will go your way. If this is how you're, how you're addressing, you know, that, that company issue uh, that you can potentially solve. Absolutely. I love that. And I, and I love what you said there as well, Tony, about prioritization going your way. There's because the moment, the moment, and I, I go back to your, and ask well made as an offer, the moment you can create a very strong burning platform of why what you're proposing is, is important. Um, I would almost even take a take a step beyond that, and for depends on the company size and so on. You might have an OKR process or prioritization process. The more deeply embedded a RevOps leader, RevOps team, RevOps professional can be in their company's go-to-market prioritization process, the more room they will be able to create for these are projects I feel we need to implement to deliver value. And this is this is what we'll do to keep the lights on. The moment they can do that, um, that'll also help. Again, people use the phrase "getting a seat at the table" helps them get a seat at the table, be strategic, mm -hmm. and actually mm -hmm. be able to deploy them. So I love what you said at the end about prioritization. Do you do you think that your strategy consulting past? I mean, this is um, is a lot about communication, right? It's a lot about communication in in, in that job. Do you think that that has helped you to? Um, communicate strategically mm -hmm. and kind of discuss strategic topics in your revenue operations role? Oh, a lot, definitely. I would say, in fact, um, I think a lot, a lot of the skill set that 
you'd pick up in consulting is very similar to what we need in RevOps. And I, I use a phrase of this three leadership points. There's thought leadership, process leadership, and people leadership, mm-hmm. which are core to literally any role, but even more so in revenue operations and similarly in consulting. Mm-hmm. And being able to communicate and drive value for working with executives, working with the leadership and helping them see why the change needs to happen or why we need to think about it in a certain way, consulting has helped me significantly, I would say. Definitely. And now let's almost flip that advice question. Now, instead of giving someone new in RevOps uh, advice, maybe what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time and start your whole career, other than investing in Uber? Brilliant. <laughs> Definitely. That's, that's a big one. I think I think the big one, and, I, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this, I'm at probably at that point in, in, in my life where I've been thinking about what could I have done differently. I think the, the main thing I would probably go back and and say is talk to as many people as possible. I think um, a lot of us, and me included, I think we feel like we carry the burden of the world on our shoulders. But there's so much, I think, even on, on the podcast, I've heard so many different perspectives coming from different people more recently, but as you've seen the revenue operations world grow, I'd almost go back and say, why don't you talk to, back then when I was starting out, Tony was already doing what I was doing. So I should probably reach out to him then, not now. So that's that's the one thing I'd go back and say. That's a that's a, that's a a pretty good one. It's also not the first time we're hearing it, by the way. It's, a, <laughs> it's pretty cool. And I think it has to do with this, I'm not sure if this is the imposter syndrome. I think that's actually the wrong term. It's probably kind of the God complex of revenue operations. Yes. Yes. It's, I can I can figure this out myself. I don't I don't need to, you know. Um, but uh, and and sure you can you can totally yes. Um, but it might be easier if you start chatting with some folks and uh, and you know maybe learn something along the way. I think it's really great advice. Absolutely, yeah. That was a great episode, actually. I think that was a lot of. What are you surprised? <laughs> Every time I sit on this desk with Tony, I'm always surprised just how good these are. But no, I think there's a lot to be said, especially about you know breaking down the, the complexity of this engine and actually creating actionable results out of this. It's it's. I, I think if you take it one step at a time, there's you can actually do this. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. It was uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. I mean, you and I we catch up recently, uh, you know, often here and there. Uh, but really cool to you know do that in this format. And uh, thank you so much for for spending the time. The, the pleasure and privilege is all mine, Tony. Thank you so much. And great Wonderful. to chat with you as well, Bart. Yes, yes thank you. All right. Have a good time. Bye bye.